Father Justin Braun joins us today to continue our conversation about the marriage catechumenate and the importance of marriage formation. He gives a pastor's perspective on the importance of marriage ministry in the life of the parish, what's at risk if we do not offer this to couples, and the abundant joy and blessings that can come from authentic accompaniment of marriages and families. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Life Beyond the Chariot, a faith and family series from the St. Philip Institute. We believe we are called to not only know, but also to live the truth of the gospel within our homes, in our workplaces, and beyond. We believe we are invited to encounter Christ in the messiness of day-to-day life and to live as his disciples. Welcome back to another episode. We have a lot going on on the podcast <laughs> today. We're starting, a, I guess, a, a, we're in the middle of a, a trilogy of episodes with priests. So we have a special guest, Father Justin Braun, a friend of the podcast, been on several times. We also have Andre, and Andre is not asleep for this episode. <laughs> so if you're listening and you hear some padding, it's me trying to keep him quiet or bouncing. And if you're watching, like, we're in for an interesting episode. We'll see how this uh. goes. But Father, thank you so much yeah. for, for joining us. I know we've had you on like three or four times at this point, but can you remind people who you are, what sure. you do? Yeah. So my name is Father Justin Braun. I'm the pastor of Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Texarkana, Texas, and I'm the director of vocations for the Diocese of Tyler, and I serve on three of the bishop's committees that help service the diocese, and I'm also the chaplain for the St. Philip Institute. We're so blessed to have yes. you. So last episode, we interviewed Father George Elliott. We talked about parish life. And at the end of that episode, we talked a little bit about marriage formation and actually formation for young adults. Um, and then before that, we talked about the marriage catechumenate. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to continue the conversation about that because that document, um, the Catechumenal Pathways for Married Life, it's a very interesting document. If you haven't listened to that episode, jump back um, and and get caught up. But basically, it is the church wanting to be uh, more more intentional about the formation of engaged couples and newlyweds, and that this isn't something where we just put couples in um, a queue and get them to the altar and and we're done, Um, but that we are really trying to evangelize through uh, sacramental formation. So as one of the priests who celebrates probably more weddings than many of our (laughs) priests in the diocese, can you, and you've been with us since the beginning as far as the, the marriage formation process for the Diocese of Tyler, can you share a little bit of your experience with this mentorship and accompaniment model that we've adapted that's very similar to the the marriage catechumenate? Sure, yeah, I'd be glad to, and I appreciate getting the opportunity to come speak with y'all, good friends, and get to hang out with Andre. It's always fun, and I think we got people like cutting grass outside, so you might also hear that (laughs) going on. I hear all kinds of noises. Um, But yeah, so this whole idea of accompaniment is not new to the church. It's really what we've done since the beginning, and Pope Francis's kind of refocusing, I think, was really helpful for the whole church to have a language to uh, talk about how we do sacramental prep and and accompanying families, uh, whatever the sacrament may be, but in this case, particularly for marriage formation, like where we were uh, when I first became a priest 11 years ago was, I think where a lot of people were, it's just uh, there's a one day, you know, kind of eight hour 
exposure. You hear some stuff. Some people say some nice things. Maybe you learned something. Maybe you didn't. And that was really kind of that was it. Yeah. Okay. And then it's so you get eight hours of, of formation to become a married couple for the rest of your life. Uh, you know, and I meanwhile, the guys like me, I'm <laughs> like, like I, I got to, yeah, seven and a half. I, I got to shave one semester off somehow. But, you know, it's like my vocation is the same as yours. It's for life. Uh, so this, this is imbalanced. But no, just kind of thinking about how, what it is that we need to develop as a church to help better strengthen couples as they're preparing for marriage. Uh, first and foremost is obviously an encounter with Christ, a, a deeper encounter with Christ. And um, so having the priest kind of step into a more f- front-facing role with marriage formation instead of being maybe at the tail end where he sits down and talks about, okay, here's your readings and your it's music, but, yeah. but like, you know, the first encounter you're really going to have after may- maybe you call a, the church and talk to a marriage coordinator who's going to set up an appointment or something, but really your first encounter as a mar- as an engaged couple is with a priest who's supposed to be in persona Christi and, you know, or another Christ and altar Christus. And so that really was exciting for me because I, I love, you know, I love meeting young couples and older couples, but a lot of times it's been younger couples and just helping them to maybe less be less afraid of what it is they're doing uh, to maybe help them realize that the church is not here to make you jump through hoops and check boxes, but is really here to be a mother to you. Um, uh, and a mother wants to help her children. And mm-hmm. so yeah. to kind of take on that spousal view as the, the spouse of, of the bride, like I'm going to help it, to help these children, these spiritual children, to know who who they are, to help them recognize what it is they're, they're really trying to do is the greatest you know, thing a human being can do this side of heaven uh, to help bring family into the, you know, create a family and bring a family into the world. Uh, and so it's just the different mentality of, this is, I don't want to say it was always this way, but it certainly certain, certainly felt that way sometimes when I talked to priests. Like, they would they would joke, lay people don't be offended, but they would joke, I'd rather do 10 funerals than one wedding. Mm. And it's like, okay, I don't really get that. Um, and, and I don't feel, and I think a lot of priests have seen this change. Like, the, it's not a burden to work through this process you're getting to know your couple better because we meet with them you know more than once for 10 minutes we meet with them a number of times um and getting to know your own couples in your parish has been a great benefit Mm -hmm. too for me especially going from one parish to another in the last five years like it was a great way to kind of get to know some of the leaders in my parish uh the couples whose marriages were really good examples to others because uh, those were the first people that were being asked to be mentors, or I would ask them, hey, would you, you know, I've got an engaged couple, would you consider being a mentor couple for them if the engaged couple didn't know what, who they wanted? So, yeah, it's just been overall a great way for me to get to know my community better and for my community to be involved in each other's lives more deeply. Love that. Yeah. Because th- there's been some transformation within the diocese. Like, I've only been in the diocese for five years. You grew up in the yeah. diocese um, and have been a priest for 11 years, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, maybe Deanna can speak a little bit more, like he was talking about mentorship, just mm-hmm. sort of what we do um, in this diocese. But I'm sure you've seen this sort of shift. You've gotten to live through maybe other processes or mm-hmm. programs. So what do you see now as something that Deanna has sort of been working on in the bishop's vision that you find as um, beneficial or things like, I really think everyone should be doing this, and this is the first that I have seen or, or maybe even some challenges. Mm. Um, yeah, I think the first fruit is that, as I said, 
couples who are in our parish who maybe were very good married couples but didn't know a practical way to kind of use their marriage in a ministerial way mm-hmm. have been activated in a, a dynamic relationship with a, 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 a engaged couple. So I'm getting to see, and they're getting to see w- along with me, a new side of themselves as, hey, mm-hmm. I this whole like evangelization thing is it's not impossible. It's really just being ourselves and, and, and in a more intentional way. Um, so I think that's the first fruit I think of, is especially in our Spanish community where we've had a lot more uh, convalidations, you know, to uh, get marriages that are civil, to be blessed by the church, to use the colloquial phrase. Uh, but in our English-speaking community, too, like the, the young couples who are there are really excited to be in this process because they're getting to hear practical wisdom from married couples in their parishes that has changed the way that they're even approaching their whole engagement. Like I can think of one couple who it helped them to kind of pause and say, okay, there's some some things that we really hadn't thought about. And instead of rushing into it, they said, yeah, we're just going to lengthen our engagement. And awesome, great, that's not a problem. That prevents us from 20 years from now, three years from now, five years from now, yep. whatever, of having to go through an annulment pro- yep. or trying mm-hmm. to go through an annulment yep. process. So I think that's obviously a good fruit. Uh, I'd say secondly, this the level of joy that I see in our married couples is palpable like Mm -hmm. they're excited to be married Um, they're excited to kind of be part of that married community in the parish Um, and they find deeper friendships there especially my parish we have a lot of transplants a lot of people who have moved there you know or from there moved away and then came back Um, so for them to kind of find peers who are walking towards Christ together with them uh, is hugely different than their college experience where maybe they weren't with peers that were walking towards Christ or maybe their professional experience where it's just a job, I'm not really connecting deeply with these people, but now they're finding deeper friendships. Um, So all those things are helpful. The biggest challenge I probably have right now, frankly, I've got a good-sized parish, is finding enough people to help as mentors because, you know, there's still that who, me? kind of mentality like who are we we don't there's nothing special about us like that's what's kind of great you're just a 25 year married couple that's managed to show people that you can love each other for 25 years and that's a great gift to give to other people yes yeah and it's miraculous and in today's culture (laughs) people are married that long so just to review real quick if you're not familiar with the uh, marriage formation guidelines for the diocese of tyler we use a program called witness to love we've uh, probably talked about it on the podcast before but basically the model of that program is, um, again, intentional accompaniment, but an engaged couple gets to choose their own mentor couple. So instead of having a whole bunch of trained mentors, the engaged couple gets to think about, you know, who is someone whose marriage we admire? They've been married for at least five years. They're known by the pastor. Um, They have, they come to mass regularly. They're in a Catholic sacramental marriage. Um, and they get this opportunity to accompany the engaged couple. And then in some cases, like Father Braun was describing, um, we have like showcase couples where um, they can, because oftentimes we, we do have a lot of um, young couples that don't know anyone and they don't know anyone to choose. Oh, you're okay, bud. Um, and so having those couples that are just kind of on the radar in the parish is really, really helpful. Um, one thing that I know has been a challenge, um, and with the marriage catechumenate document, um, one of the objections to it, and we talked about it a little bit 
in the Marriage Catechumenate episode was this idea of making formation longer. Mm. And I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this, Father, because I know before I got here, the marriage formation requirement was six months, and then we moved that to nine to 12 months. Um, And I immediately heard some pushback from priests saying, like, there's concerns about, you know, how are we going to encourage couples to have chaste relationships if we're making them wait longer? Um, which I have, I have lots of thoughts on that and I shared them a little <laughs> bit, but, um, but I'm interested just to hear your perspective as a pastor, you know, when people raise these concerns about like, okay, we're making couples wait longer. Um, what about chastity? Uh, how do you respond to that? Seven and a half years. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, but yeah, it's like, okay, great. Do we, do we live in such a culture of instant gratification that we can't talk as adults to young people or wherever they are in their age uh, about the heroic call to live a virtuous sacrificial yeah. life mm-hmm. and if we can't then what are we doing you know it's I, I was very pleased uh, when you and Bishop Strickland uh, were talking and I got to be part of that conversation like what's the what's the upside here the upside is that we have a much better chance of not having to go through annulments yep in the long run yeah um, what's the downside uh huh. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm being a little pithy, but the uh, you know, I get it to a degree. I get it. Like it's it's hard to tell a couple who's excited and who's who's young. Hey, we want you as a church. We want you to wait nine to twelve months. But it's the responsibility of the church to help this couple discern yeah. their their marriage. Yeah. And because we don't do public bans anymore, where like we you know call Post. out the, you know and say hey, so and so Mary Smith and Joe Joe, you know whatever are getting married do anybody does anybody have any objections like the church now has to be much more like a kind of private investigator and figure those things out through you know the prepare and enrich uh material and then through talking you know the priest having those one-on-one conversations with the couple the mentor couple gives us feedback and it's not again to to try to stop people from getting married but it's to help them make sure that they're getting into a marriage that will last and a marriage that they will enjoy um so I don't, I've had like maybe one or two couples in the past five years say, oh, that seems like a long time. And I always just, I got to remind them like, it's the rest of your life, guys. Like, Until death do us yeah, part. Yeah, I don't want, you know, I don't want you to be here three, four years from now talking to me about how much you don't right. like each other. Right. Um, and how this was a waste of your life. Right. So, yeah. And I haven't had anybody really get that upset. They've just been like, that seems like a while. Like, right. Yeah. You need to save some money anyways to I rent, know to rent one, your venue. <laughs> one of the downsides that I did hear from some priests was, oh, well, we're not going to have as many couples present themselves for marriage in the church. And to that it it because because of the the length of the formation and what we were asking people to do and basically the formation in our diocese is witness to love three to get married retreat where they get the sacramentality and the theology mm-hmm. and then an nfp course that's it we're not asking people to be in a class every week things like mm-hmm. that and neither is the marriage catechumenate document but to that it, i mean the response to that seems to be like is our goal to just get as many people married as possible or are we trying to build good and holy marriages mm-hmm. that take time and have intentionality? And I have wondered if, you know, are we going to see maybe marriages go down for a minute? Because, yeah, there is this idea of convenience and like, well, I just want to get married whenever I want, wherever I want, on a beach, in a mountain, wherever. And the church is telling me no. Or, and I think we're already starting to see this, are we going to have couples that go through this formation process 
they continue with ongoing formation like the marriage catechumen asks for, and their witness is such that it makes a difference mm -hmm. to other engaged couples who say, you know what, I, I want that, I want that formation. And we've had couples switch parishes so that they could go through the formation that we have, but yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, and because I'm not in the thick of it with on your side and then on your side, um, but one of the things that, because uh, this new marriage catechumenate was new to me when, I, when we did the episode yeah. last time, um, but one thing that I really liked is how it breaks it up into like phases. And basically our whole lives are meant for vocational discernment and marriage is a vocation. And so it, it divides it basically into like these four different sort of phases. And one is the remote phase, which should be happening right out of the womb, right? right this, Andre, yeah. um, this applies to children, youth, single adults, young adults, um, and really hopefully in that time teaching them about the encounters with Christ, about what it means to answer God's call, like what marriage is and, and bringing that up in, at age appropriate levels um, in that part of the phase. And then you have like the proximate phase, which is those who are seriously dating and discerning marriage and newly engaged. And this is something we mentioned last time is that if there's a couple that's seriously dating, they could talk to their priest about entering this more formal um discernment process mm -hmm. um, and maybe having someone that can mentor them as they discern um, and I love that idea of like okay we are we are discerning you know and it's, I think sometimes and you might be able to speak more about this than I can but it seems like sometimes when people are engaged it's almost as if they're like well we've made the decision we are getting married and the idea about continuing discernment as they prepare for the wedding seems to not. Yeah, like we've done the discernment. Right, it's and over. that's so I discerned, and then so that's why I proposed. That's why right. I, yeah, um, there's a little parallel even with priestly vocations. Is like the church has a right called the right of candidacy um, that usually in our diocese we do the year before or the summer before a man enters major seminary to enter the theologate, the stage of configuration, and. Um, it's not a, I mean, it's, it's like a formal public ceremony within the, the holy sacrifice of the mass. But what the church is saying is, okay, we, we recognize in your humanity, a lot of your capacities towards priesthood are there, uh, but we also need time to continue to discern. So that's another four years for those guys right. um, to make that period of discernment so that they can truly continue that discernment mm -hmm. and that the church can make that discernment. And I, and I tend to think of engagement as that similarly for a, a, a man and a woman is that, okay, an engagement is a public declaration of exclusivity, first and foremost. Hopefully it was exclusive beforehand. <laughs> uh, but it's also a public declaration that we are truly entering into a period in which we're, we're hoping to understand the will of God in our lives right. and make the decision according to that will. So again, it's not frequent, but part of the process of marriage formation is to help couples who should not be married to not get married. Mm -hmm. yep. And when you can help a couple to realize that they're not supposed to be married, as painful as that can be, mm -hmm. it is much less painful than yep. a life of yeah. marriage that you hate. Yep. Yeah. So it's always worth yep. the church's efforts, again, as a mother who loves her children, to do everything she can to make sure that they are as well prepared as they can be. And if this isn't the life they're called to or the person they're called to marry, they need to, the church needs to assist that person in that discernment and, cl and finding mm -hmm. that clarity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What 
do you think that the church could do better or what might it look like to have this pre-marriage formation like even before a betrothal Mm. or engagement takes place because I I think that's one of the things that the marriage catechumenate um, pathways are asking for is that the church help dating couples Mm. to date better and discern marriage better Um, and even like before you're dating, like just sure. to learn how to be a good young adult. And we talked about that with <laughs> Father Elliot a little bit, but what should that contain when we're talking about helping people to discern, like, am I called to the vocation of marriage or like we're dating and marriage might be on the radar, but maybe not necessarily. How can the church help with that? Mm. Well, I think that there's two things that the church in general can do like in, in any parish at any given time. Um, it requires a little bit of effort, which is not always easy, but uh, a pastor or, you know, the pastoral associate, the layperson who works in marriage ministry should have a relatively high familiarity with young adults in the parish and young couples who are dating. Like um, it shouldn't be weird for the pastor to know that his 22, 23-year-old's have serious boyfriends and girlfriends, mm-hmm. right? I just talked to a young man yesterday after mass about he recently broke up with his girlfriend. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. Was, Things okay? He said, yeah, they're fine. They're fine. And, you know, he's a 22-year-old guy, 23-year-old guy, and uh, he's got a lot of life ahead of him. But I knew that he had a girlfriend, and he was actually, so he's like, I can't believe you remembered I had a girlfriend. I was like, yeah, well, you brought her to mass a number of times, so I did meet her and talk to her. Um, so I think that's a little thing that you can do just as a priest or, like I said, if you're in the, a layperson in the ministry, that you know the people that are in your parish. And from that conversation or from that relationship, you're able to draw out, hey, here's a book, you know, here's or send them a video or something. Just you can pepper little opportunities for them to get a little bit deeper formation. But um, at a mo- more prog- programmatic or process level, like, okay, high school youth ministry, do you use high school youth ministry to help kids learn about what it means to be a human, what it means to be an adult, what a discernment, you know, phase of discernment looks like, or do you just kind of put pizza in front of them and hope that they don't hate God, right? So I'm the youth minister at my parish right now, right? Um, and I've got a great team of young adults that I'm training so that really I can do other things on on the nights that we have youth ministry. Um, be there with my kids when I can, but be there. We've got 500 people in my parish on Wednesday nights, so I need to see those other 450 ki- 50 people. But um, to think about, I've had our kids read Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love by Ed, nice. Ed Sree, right? We're going to read uh, a book on the gender questions that are tough, that are being faced mm-hmm. by a lot of our teenagers right now, and trying to just have Jason Everett wrote a great book, um, and I'm going to use that as a basic text to have a difficult conversation, but a conversation that these kids are having, and they're being mm-hmm. exposed to ad nauseum through social media. Um, but being willing to lean into okay, you, you're moving towards a point in which the world's saying you've got to make this big decision, go to college, get a career, whatever. And I'm saying, like, the bigger decision is marriage or priesthood or religious life. Like, the path to holiness is going to be through that voca- one of those vocations. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, I think we can help couples or help young people by being honest with them and t- giving them formation that's going to help them have tools 
to navigate those questions as they move into young adulthood and, and ultimately to or towards dating possibly and yeah. not being in a dating relationship for the sake of pleasure and selfishness, right. but being in a dating mm-hmm. relationship for the sake of pursuing God. Right, because I think even if they're living a life of singleness, like mm-hmm. they have to learn how to do that well mm-hmm. or to be at peace with that well, because if you're not comfortable with yourself, Right. then it's going to be very difficult to enter into a relationship with others. Or if you are called to a life of, of singlehood, um, like resting in that and, and learning what that means to, to live out. Mickey, there was a part of the document, and um, we didn't cover this last time, but um, I, I wanted you to, to bring this up. Um, there's a there, One of the things that uh, you mentioned as being maybe an area of concern was how the document talks about the parental role versus like the church's role in helping young people in their formation. Sure. Well, one of the things I want to say that I did like is that it really talked a lot about remote formation, um, which is that time when they're like children, youth, young adults, and talking about um, how our young people um, need to be guided in, uh, it said, uh, guided in harmonious growth, which unites the human and spiritual dimensions of love. And parents should be the first teachers of that, the first witnesses and examples of that, um, especially now that we are in a culture that um, is highly sexualized. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of confusion out there. And our, our kids are, like you said, the kids are having these conversations at school. And the church and the especially the parents need to not pretend like, oh, that's not my kid. That's just like, they're in it. They're having these conversations Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of confusion there. Um, And maybe I did this part that it said, um, it just made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. It said, um, uh, it said there's a particularly urgent need to create or strengthen pastoral programs geared especially toward young people in the age of puberty and adolescence. Faced with contemporary challenges, the family cannot and is unable to act as the exclusive environment for formation and effectivity. The help of the church is therefore required. And I think, um, I think what sat uncomfortable with me, but I, I mean, I went to school, I studied theology, so I'm not, not super, clueless. I'm not clueless. <laughs> um, I have some. And Matt and I, my husband and I, are very intentional about yeah. raising our family in this way. Um, and I think I just, if I was a parent who was just reading this document, I don't know who's going to just read the document, <laughs> but um, the idea that I um, that I can't be that exclusive um, or the primary person for my children to mm. teach these things that are very uh, confusing and... Um, and it could be my lack of like in my church growing up in youth group, we didn't. Of course, there wasn't all of this stuff that we have now. Sure. But there wasn't this these talks about um, clarifying the church's teachings mm-hmm. or having those difficult conversations. And I didn't learn a lot of this stuff until college, right. when I was studying theology in a very wonderful Catholic college. Um, but I think because there's so much confusion that I think we need programs or talks or something, some sort of formation to really equip parents because that's where the kids come home to, right. you know? Um, yeah. So it's a both and I think that's to, to give you some prudential guidance. Anytime I read any Vatican document, I always think when it seems like there's a decisive statement of either, or it's actually most likely the philosophical foundation is both. And so to see that statement, read it with you is like to say, okay, what the church is recognizing is that right now it's 
overwhelmingly worldwide. Like there's just so much confusion, mm-hmm. and the church, as a again as a mother and a teacher, Saint John the Twenty Third famously wrote in his uh, encyclical is, "We need to be there to assist the family in all aspects." Mm-hmm. And that may mean, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Like I've I've preached and given talks to my parents at my parish on difficult moral topics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had parents, enough parents also say to me, like, hey, Father, like, you know this stuff, kind of like the detailed knowledge, better than we do. I don't mind, you know, so we don't mind if you're talking to our kids, you know, and I'm not going, not certainly not going into the detail that I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to be able to work with the parents kind of in union with them to yeah. make sure that what we're, what I'm saying and what they're saying at home are united um, but giving also a chance for kids whose parents don't. Right. Because we yeah. do know that there's parents who are just, they're afraid. Yeah. I, and I certainly yeah. get that. I have two sisters who have teenage and 20-year-old kids. And this was a dicey, dicey thing to go through the last five years was mm-hmm. talking about this stuff. And I was privileged to be asked to come and be with them in some of those conversations. My mm-hmm. sisters were kind enough to reach out. And it's like, okay, this is, you know, it's always going to be touchy. Because um, we're talking about it, the people we love the most, children, you know, yeah. and these these the future of our, our, our church, the future of our country. Um, but I, I think the church's desire there probably maybe could have been expressed better, but they're writing a document to the whole world, not <laughs> yeah. just to yeah. America, <laughs> right. uh, is to say that you know the church is going to be here to help when there is a vacuum or when there's a yeah. lack, and yeah. we, can, we can assist parents, and we never want to take away their primary role, yep. as mm-hmm. you said, because yep. you are the primary teachers I tell my parents that all the time you are the teachers you are the teachers we're just here we're like support (laughs) staff Um, but we don't need to be foolish and think that we can't do something about it sure yeah Yeah, I think um, what I do like and I I'm because I was youth minister for a long time and worked in Catholic high schools for 11 years I I feel very strongly about having like really being intentional about this remote formation and discernment Mm -hmm. Um, and it's something that I've taken very seriously for, well, really ever since I went to college and, um, I feel strongly about this and I love that they're like, okay, we need to assist parents. And it just seems like the church is trying to play catch up with the culture and that things are moving so quickly. And so to just really arm parents with confidence, Mm -hmm. um, and, and knowing that these things that the church is trying to teach, it is meant so that you can really nurture this at home mm-hmm. um, and to have a priest that parents can be comfortable going to and saying, I don't know how to mm-hmm. handle like these issues right. because ultimately our goal, and this is one of the things that the document says, which I really loved and I wrote it down, is that this nurturing, this growing in the faith, it's, it's for our young people to be able to overcome immaturity fears and resistance in order to open themselves to relationships of friendship and love, which are neither possessive nor narcissistic, but are rather free, generous, and Mm self-giving. And so what we're doing, what pastors are doing, what faith formation leaders should be doing, um, what parents should be doing is really creating this environment to nurture faith in our young people. So that way, when they come to the altar, if, if marriage is their calling, that they have and they have been working on, like, and you can tell us that young people are very capable of being said, hey, for your future calling, you're going to have to know how to sacrifice, whether it's the priesthood or a married life. You have yep. to be self-giving. You have to be generous. You have yep. to be open to God's will. And I think we sell our young people way too short, like, well, 
this is just things teenagers do. Like, you know, like, and they want to be challenged. They They do. Yeah. They want that authentic. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we're, we need to like, are we telling our children like the things that you're doing now, um, the decisions that you're choosing to make now, are these things consistent with sustaining a healthy vocation later? And if they're not, priests, parents need to be comfortable enough in saying it's got to get out because it's Mm. not supportive of your future vocation, whatever it is. Exactly. And I think nowadays it's like, it's probably not even good for just your relationship with Jesus, you know? No, yeah. <laughs> right. You know? Right. But being able to have those hard conversations, and I think there's a lot of fear because it's just, we don't know how to. These are tough topics. and we Super tough. Want, yeah. Tough topics. And there's a feeling that we're, as Catholics, because we, you know, we stand for marriage between man and a woman. We we don't believe in divorce, you know. We don't believe in unions between a man and a man or a woman and a woman are something that are blessed by God. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't believe that people should just be using contraception and all those, you know. These are these are difficult things that run so contrary to our culture. Mm-hmm. And I try to remind parents, again, as a pastor, I'm with parents a lot, you know, your kids are in school 40 hours a week. 40 something weeks a year. That's a lot of exposure, mm-hmm. good or bad. Like you may have great teachers mm-hmm. and a great culture in your church mm-hmm. or parish, you may, or your school, you may not. They're on screens four to six hours a day, minimally. Like the world has us beat. Like our hands are behind our back, our legs are tied up. And so we're just having to open our mouths and, and kind of feels like we're screaming, but we're really not just trying to remind everybody like, no, these things are true regardless of how much the world hates us. And Jesus reminds us that the world will hate you because they hated me first. And when we tell a kid, you know, we tell our kids with love that, you know, the things that the world is selling you are false, uh, we got to be ready to flinch a little bit because they're probably going to be a little upset with us. And, but what's beautiful is, okay, if, if, as we heard yesterday in the prophet Ezekiel in the Sunday mass, like if I fail to teach what sin is and your prophets, just like me, we're prophets in our baptism. If I fail to teach what sin is, then woe is me, because I'm going down too for the failure mm-hmm. to teach and admonish my brother. But if I do teach what sin is, and my brother chooses to sin, that's on him. And so, yeah, this is part of the Christian life. We heard last week in the gospel, just take up your cross and uh, deny yourself. And so you have to deny yourself, I hate to say it, but we have to deny ourselves the pleasure of not saying uh not saying hard things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough pleasure. Pleasure of not being uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Because we hate suffering so much. So yeah, this is going to call us the marriage catechumen at every phase is going to call us to challenging conversations, challenging actions. I mean, you ladies are heroes in my mind in so many ways. (laughs) No, you really are as moms, because just just this past weekend, I was kind of blew up on the internet, but like the, the single, uh, childless kind of phenomenon that's happening in American culture right now. Uh, it's not healthy to promote a culture of narcissistic people, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying every woman without a child is narcissistic. Right. I have right. an aunt who never had children. She was a tremendously generous, like a second mom to all yeah. of us. But the difference is she didn't focus on herself. She focused on being healthy, of course, but loving everybody else with that extraordinary love. Mm-hmm. Um, and not promoting a culture in which it's just, oh, I want to, you know, do whatever I want to do all the time. So baseline, what the church is asking us to do in the remote phase is to help 
not create narcissistic demons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it's it I'm so glad that we we focused on that aspect of of the document because really when <laughs> excuse me, when we think about um, the marriage catechumenate, it's not just affecting the formation of engaged couples or dating couples. What we're talking about is how a pathway to change the culture because all of these things affect parish life. If the parish is serious about truly accompanying uh, couples through their discernment and into married life and beyond, um, then the church is present to serve the family. Uh, and has this pathway to have these conversations, like you're saying. Um, and I guess the thing that comes to mind, too, and, and I won't get on my soapbox, but I'll <laughs> let Father, Father <laughs> speak to his brother priest. But I do think that there is something at risk if we don't take this seriously. Um, and so, Father, can you, from, from a pastor to a pastor, or, you know, if you have sure. clergy who are like, you know, I don't have time for marriage formation, or I don't have time to like, you know, we'll get them through marriage prep, but I can't do more with um, our our married couples because there's just no time. What do you say to that? I say, what's the single most important foundation of a civilization? The family. Family. Mm-hmm. Family. Family. Like, that's it. Um, we we won't have a church without families. We don't have new priests. We don't have guys that will help brother priest. You won't get to retire <laughs> if there's there not go. families that are producing yep. vocations. Yep. Uh, so out of nothing but selfishness, you should try to do well at this. <laughs> but no, I, I want to encourage you actually doing it out of sacrificial love. And that's the thing. It's the sacrifice of time. And I, and I know that one of the challenges that my brother priest has said to me is, well, you know, I only like in our small, small parishes, you might have one wedding every two yeah. or three years. So it's not like. They're like, so I don't really know how to get excited about it. And I said, okay, well, I I can sympathize with the fact that it's not something you're going to pour a lot of energy into year-round because you just don't have a lot of couples coming. Mm -hmm. But that one couple should have the best best experience they've ever had with a priest. Like you hopefully will actually pour more time into them than you would almost anybody else because it's so rare. They should feel like father really knows who we are and we know who father is. So, um, and then in the other parish, like the cathedral I know here in Tyler has 40 weddings a year. I have usually 15 to 20 on my own schedule, whether it's in my parish or elsewhere. Uh, So I know that I can't pour that much time into every couple like I, like I'd want to. Um, but why is it worth it? Because, again, when seven years from now they have a child who's preparing for first uh, communion and, and confirmation, it's not the first time you've seen them. Exactly. That's a couple that you met seven years exactly. ago or when they were preparing. That's a couple who you've seen every week for the past seven years who you've had dinners with who when you say to them, hey, I'm gonna, I need you all to step up and maybe volunteer to help us with catechetical training yeah. for these kids – they're like, oh, yeah, sure, Father, because they have felt like we poured into them a lot, yes. and they want to give back. And I, I can say yeah. I've seen that literally just in you know the five and a half years I've been in uh, Sacred Heart in Texarkana. Like most of my volunteer catechists at this point are people who went through the marriage formation yeah. process um, overwhelmingly. That's who Those are the volunteers in the parish. Those are the leaders who are stepping up to the plate when we have new initiatives and saying, hey, how can we help? Because they saw the church helping them and pouring mm-hmm. into them. So yeah. that's my challenge to my brother priest is like, hey, you you don't you don't have time. I don't have time. I have like I said, I have like six jobs. Um, <laughs> literally. I literally don't have time. Um, 
but I have time to help set up a team and be involved in the life of my team. And by extension, I'm involved in the life of those people. And ultimately, I will be involved in the life of every couple who I marry uh, because they're worth it, because Jesus mm. Christ himself showed up at the wedding in Cana. Yes. They were worth him taking the time yes. to go to. So every couple that we have needs Christ in their wedding too. So that's what we're called. Amen. Mm. I think, you know, speaking to, to the lay people who are listening, do not underestimate the power of one marriage. Like the priests need to hear that, but I think we as lay people, as married couples, as those who are discerning marriage, do not underestimate the impact that your marriage will have on your family and on your parish community. And it, I mean, it sounds like an oversimplified thing, but you know, children come from, children come from, from, uh, from marriages, marriages, make up communities, communities make up parishes and dioceses and societies. And if we're very intentional, you know, one marriage at a time, if each married couple thinks about their role in the life of the parish and the transformative power of their witness, that is what is going to change the culture. Like you think about the saints, and I think St. John Paul II, his parents are venerables, or mm-hmm. they're on the pathway for, for, married, for, uh, for uh, sainthood. Like these rock stars of the faith came from families. Um, and like you said, Father, like if we want to have new vocations, if we want to have more families, if we want to have new saints here in the Diocese of Tyler, like we have to invest intentionally in the family. So I feel very strongly about this. I know Mickey does mm-hmm. as well. And I'm so grateful to have priests like you mm-hmm. and Father George Elliott, who are just being very intentional about um, accompanying families, because that's what we're talking about. Yep. We're not talking about programs. We're talking about being intentional about walking with families through life. So mm-hmm. thank you yeah. for, yes, for thank what you're you. doing. Um, here in the Diocese of Tyler, uh, that ongoing marriage formation uh, is something that we're taking seriously. We had the Evangelizing Spouses Retreat um, a few weeks ago. It was amazing. Very grateful to Ryan and Mary Rose Verrett uh, from Witness to Love for coming for that. Um, but we do have some other events. Um, one is a Three to Stay Married workshop with Maribel Laguna. Um, she's a Catholic marriage and family life therapist um, from the Dallas area. So she'll be here um, September 30th and then at the end of October. We have a Three to Stay Married workshop with um, Amanda and, oh man, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, They're from Wallet Win, um, Wallet Win Academy, and basically like the the Dave Ramsey Catholic version. They're going to do a finance (laughs) workshop uh, for Jonathan. That's his name, Jonathan and Amanda (laughs) Tejera. Um, They're coming. Um, So we'll put the link to that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, just know that here in the Diocese of Tyler, like we're very serious about accompanying families, whether it's through catechesis um, and sacrament formation or just through the family life. Mm-hmm. So Father, will you give us your blessing and close us in prayer, please? Sure. Let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for the great gift of the family. We pray especially for engaged couples, for married couples that they recognize that they are to be icons, to be witnesses of the love of Christ and his love for the church on the cross. Pray, O Lord, in thanksgiving for our diocese, for our bishop, and we pray that you will strengthen all of us to follow you in faith, hope, and charity. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. 
Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.